Well, all right. Good morning, church. Come on. Can you put your hands together this morning? Come on. Come on. If you're just glad to be alive, somebody make some noise if that's you. Hey, what an honor it is to have you join with us today at both of our campuses. So if you're new here, we're actually one church in two locations. And I want to tell you about that because what you're a part of this morning is a multi-site, multi-state movement. God is doing great things. And so we've got our wonderful church family right here in the South Metro Atlanta area. That's all of you in this room. Come on, make some noise if that's you. Yep. And then 700 miles from here, just outside of our nation's capital, uh, there's a town called Germantown, Maryland, in Montgomery County, Maryland, and God is doing a great work there. And so we welcome our Go Church family via the live stream. Come on, can you bless Go Church and Go Church? Let us hear from you. Glad you're joining with us today. And, uh, you know, the weather report says that you got snow on the way. So we're praying for you, praying for you. Just don't send it this way. Come on, somebody. And then also, all of you watching online, we're so glad you're tuning in wherever that's from. Uh, let us know in the comments section. We love to leverage technology to take the message of Jesus literally across the world. And then one of the things that we always do as a part of our opening, as a part of our welcome, is we love to give honor to the military, to the brave men and women that are serving our country. Come on, can we bless them? Come on, a little bit more wholeheartedly. You know, and you hear me say this, you hear me say this every week uh, in, in some way, shape, or form, uh, but America, it's not perfect, and we know that, but we are still a, a blessed, blessed nation, and so we're so thankful for the brave men and women that give us the freedoms and fight for those freedoms that we have, and so we're grateful for each and every one of you. I'm excited for today, and I'm going to tell you why in just a minute, but I want you to make sure you get your smartphone out or if you've got a calendar, because this upcoming Wednesday is our first Wednesday night gathering. So the first Wednesday of every single month at both of our campuses, we come together. So here at South Metro, at this campus, we come into this room. At, at Go Church, they meet at our Clarksburg offices. You'll get some more information on that location. So the first Wednesday night of every month, we come together. And uh, this particular Wednesday night is special because it's water baptism. And so this is where individuals that have recently said yes to Jesus for the very first time, or they've recommitted their life to Christ in recent weeks, days, or months. Uh, they're going public with that faith, and it is one of my favorite things that we do as a church because we get to see people, again, come, come out of that water celebrating what God has done in their life. So I want you to come in to be a part. Uh, maybe, maybe you or your family member is getting baptized, so you definitely want to be here. For the rest of us, I want you to come in to celebrate. So both campuses, come out this Wednesday night. Let's celebrate together. Uh, 7 o'clock here at South Metro, and then 7 p.m., the doors open at Go Church there. They'll kick off a few minutes after 7. So I want you guys to be a part of that. It's going to be a great night, extended worship, an opportunity for prayer, water baptism, and then the word. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. Anybody excited about this? Come on. I'm excited, too. Can't wait to see you. And I want you to be here. Now, now, today, there's been much anticipation about the month of March, and I'm really excited for this month. As a matter of fact, one of my friends, he pastors in Chattanooga, he posted on his social media that the Lord spoke to him and said that the month of March is not a month, it's an order. That we're going to march forward. We're moving forward in some things. And I, I believe this is true for your family because with anticipation, we've been announcing that today we're kicking off this series called Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. And I'm really excited about this series and here's why. There's a few reasons why, but here's the primary reason why. And it's because I believe in my heart that we need biblical messages about the family now more than ever before, that, that we need somebody stepping up and preaching the truth of God's word, declaring it over every household, over everybody's last name, over your marriage, and over your children, because the truth is this, the enemy wants to destroy your family. The enemy is after your household. If you go back to the beginning of humanity, when God created Adam and Eve, the enemy began to attack that first family, and even the very first family had a ton of dysfunction. So you're not alone in the dysfunction of your family, and the enemy has been after the family ever since. And the Bible says that a family that is against one another, a family that is at odds with one another, that they will not be able to stand. And so you know this 
and so do I, the culture we live in, the, the society that we live in today. In 2019, this is the busiest, most distracted, most afraid, most stressed, most fractured society in the history of the world. And it's taking a toll on our families. And so I'm excited to kick off this series, Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. And I don't, I don't want to launch week number one with a ton of depressing news on the onset because I, I'm bringing you good news today. That, that is the message of Jesus. But, but the statistics are disturbing. I mean, really, when you look at the modern-day family and you see what's happening around our country, it, it's disturbing. It's frightening. Stats tell us that somewhere between 40 to 50% of marriages will end in divorce and separation. Statistics tell us that one in three kids now will live in a house without the presence of a father figure. Uh, stats tell us that the average student debt is hovering around forty-nine dollars to $50,000. And so that, that financial pressure that's added to the household. I mean, you get, you get out of college and you, you, you get married is kind of the, the, the trend or the timeline typically for most people. And you enter that relationship and you start your family with overwhelming debt. And so the financial pressure just adds up and it adds so much stress. Statistics tell us that over 7 million children take a form of antidepressant medication. Think about that for a moment. And then I read this a couple weeks ago that over 3,000 high school students will attempt suicide every single day. Something is happening in our culture. Something's happening in our society. And, and I don't know what, what your faith is, but I'll, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that, that it's spiritual warfare. I believe that the enemy is targeting households, he's targeting families, he's targeting marriages, he's targeting children, he's targeting whatever, whatever your last name is because he ultimately comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and what we've learned is this, and I hope you're taking notes at either one of our campuses because I've got a lot to tell you today, but what we've learned is this, is that your family will not accidentally stay together. This, this idea of keeping your family together doesn't happen accidentally. So, so your marriage is not going to accidentally be healthy. Yet your children, when they grow up and they move away from home, they're not going to accidentally want to come back and visit you. Like you've got to invest some things in your children so that after they're grown, there's still a healthy relationship there. You won't accidentally have peace in your house. You won't accidentally have unity in your home. You won't accidentally wake up one day and think, wow, we've built a really strong family structure. Truth be told is this, and I want you to hear me. If you want your family to work, you're going to have to work on your family. Come on, give me an amen right there. This idea of keeping the family together, it doesn't happen accidentally. And although statistics suggest that the average family is not doing great, here's what I want you to know. Your family does not have to be average. Come on, give me a better amen. As a matter of fact, I, I, want, I want you to say this after me. I, I want you to say this, and I'll tell you when. I want you to say, my family doesn't have to be average. I want you to think, think about that. M make that a declaration. Because the truth is the odds are stacked against your family. That there will be problems. There, there will be pain. There will be separation. There, there will be arguing and fighting. But listen to me. According to the name that is above all names, it's the name of Jesus. Come on. And the power that he gives us through the Holy Spirit, your family does not have to be average. And I want you to make that a declaration over these five weeks. My family doesn't have to be average. Can we say that together? Both campuses, one, two, three. My family does not have to be average. Come on, say it again. One, two, three. My family does not have to be average. As a matter of fact, and I want you to know this, we've been praying over your family. And I mean that. That statement I just made isn't a statement that I make lightly or flippantly. We have literally been praying over your family. Those prayers started during the 21 days of prayer and fasting that we kicked off as a church at the beginning of the year in January. And for 21 days, 
We prayed for your family. Even if we didn't know your family's name, we said, God, when families come to our church, and especially when they come during this series, can there be miracles that happen in the household? Watch this. Yesterday morning alone, at 8.30 a.m. at two campuses, almost 150 people came together to pray for your family, to call out and to cry out to God that God would do something in your home and in your household. So I'm telling you, you we've been praying for you. And, and one of the prayers that I've been praying, and Kimberly and I, we've been praying as a family for your family is this. 1 Peter 4.8. This is what it says. Above all. Amen. Amen. I've been praying that for you. Above all the fighting. Above all the dysfunction. Above all the problems, above all the disagreements, above all the financial pressure, above all the responsibilities at work and at school. Let's get a little more practical. Above all the dirty laundry that needs to get done. Above all the dirty dishes that you keep like pretending aren't there. They're there. Above all the messiness in the playroom or the kids' room. Above all the hard conversations that you don't want to have with your spouse or with your children. Above all the parental pressure that us parents face. Above all, this is the prayer, keep loving one another. Above all, above all of that, come on church, keep loving one another since love, somebody say love. love. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I want you to know something before we jump into the heartbeat of week number one of this series, that these five weeks, including today, this is not a collection of conversations uh, that is just for young married couples who have small children. That, that's not the case. It includes them, but it's not only for them. This series is for anybody who's connected to a family. So, so you can be a husband, you can be a wife. You, you can be a mother, you can be a father, you can be a stepmom, you can be a stepdad, you can be married, you can be single, ready to mingle, come on now. You can be engaged, you can be, you can be widowed, you can be the stepson, you can be the stepdaughter. Uh, you, you might be in the season of life where you're the grandparent, come on, every grandparent, both campuses, raise your hand. Don't you love the grandparents? Come on now. And grandparents, don't you love being a grandparent? Because you get to spoil them and then send them home? Thank you for that. Right? So whatever season of life you're in, that the majority of us, all of us, somehow, some way, some shape, some form, we're connected to a family. So this series is for you. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you the overview of what all five weeks are going to look like. Okay? I'm going to do this quick because I, I, I want you to make it a priority to be here. Each week of this series, I'm going to give you one, one kind of practice uh, out of the five weeks, each week, one practice that I believe will keep your family together. Now, obviously, there, there are a lot more than five things that you could do and should do in order to keep your family together, but, but there's only five weeks in the month of March, so we're going to give you five things, and these are the five things that we've prayed over as a team, and, and we've, we've we really kind of labored before the Lord. These are the five things, and, and I, I don't want to say this as if I know the answer, but I think if you do these five things, these are the five most foundational things that you could do to kind of jumpstart either restoring some things that have been broken in your family or building the foundation that needs to be built to create a healthy structure. Now, something else you need to know is this. I'm not standing up here saying that the next 30 days, the next month, the next five weeks is going to fix all the problems. Okay, I, I, I can't say that. This isn't a, a magic formula that you're going to drink when you leave here and all the problems will just, just disappear. But I believe these five weeks can be a, a week of or a month of miracles for your family. So that's why I want to tackle this. And throughout the series, we're going to do a 30-day challenge. We created a website for you. It's called 30dayfamily.com, 30dayfamily.com. On that website, you get a ton of resources, a ton of stuff. Now, here's what you need to know, that you, you're going to have to actually work at your family if you want your family to work. So it goes beyond just our conversations on Sunday. Are you with me? So we're going to do the 30-day family challenge together. Again, whatever season of life that you're in. And one of the many resources on that website is a 30-day family challenge calendar. 
You're going to get this as you leave today. Uh, they'll pass these out as you walk out or stop by the Next Steps table and make sure that you get one of these calendars. If you didn't get one, no worry, because you can download it off the 30dayfamily.com website. Now, on this calendar, I want to highlight some of the things that are on there. There's family devotions that we're encouraging you to do as a family. Uh, there's Together Tuesdays where you're going to actually lean in here. You're going to eat a meal together. And if you're really brave, you're going to cook that meal together. Come on now. I know Chick-fil-A is holy, but sometimes we got to cook a meal, right? There, there are family nights. There are game nights. There are craft nights. And listen, parents, those of you that, that have small children, we even have a date night on there. And at both of our campuses, we're providing child care at our locations for free. So you can go on a date. Come on now. So ladies, come on, nudge your, nudge your spouse and tell them, there ain't no excuse now, buddy. You're taking me out. We're going to get fancied up. So everything you need to prioritize the next 30 days to jumpstart or restart your family, you can find on 30dayfamily.com. Also, if you're here and your family is in a good place, so you're like, well, I don't know about all this dysfunction and all these problems. Like our family is in a really good place. Then check this out. These next 30 days are just going to reinforce the good that is already happening. So it's going to encourage you and confirm some things that you're doing in your household. Okay, one more thing, and then we'll jump into the message. The biggest piece of this 30-day challenge is you being in church with your family. It's a big part of this. Okay, and I'll talk more about church attendance uh, throughout the message, but I'm asking you to be here all five Sundays in March. And guess what? Right now you're batting a thousand. Come on now. <laughs> now, for some of you, five weeks in a row in church is a record, it's a personal record. And I think that's awesome. Come on, and records are meant to be broken, so just keep that thing going. But if you commit, and this is what I've been praying, if you commit to the next five weeks, I think that you'll be blown away at what God can do in your family. I really believe that. So a big piece of that is to be here each Sunday in the month of March. So here's what that means. Husbands who are here because your wife begged you to be here, that's all right. Hang in with us the next four Sundays after this as well. Here's what it means. Sports parents, it means making church a priority over the next five Sundays. So that means that you may miss a practice. Or you might miss a tournament. Let me tell you, the team will be all right. And your son or daughter, they're going to be all right too. But we got to make it a priority. Married couples that you're thinking about separation or you're in the process of divorce. Now hear my heart. If you're in an abusive relationship of any kind, I'm not telling you to stay in that abusive relationship. But if it's just because of problems, here's all I'm asking you to do. Press pause on the separation. Press pause on the divorce for the next five weeks and come to church and see what happens when God gets in the middle of that relationship. It means this, for the single parent that's exhausted and you're overwhelmed and you're ready to kill your children, come on now, or at least put them up for sale. Like, I need a break. I want you to know we've been praying for you. And if you can come the next five weeks, I really believe that God is doing something. And then here's one more thought. By the way, we're absolutely right now in our Go Kids environments, we are bribing your children to be here too. <laughs> right now. Right now, our kids' directors and leaders are telling your children if they make it four Sundays out of five, they win a prize for the whole family. <laughs> yeah, right now. And I'm telling you, every single kid's like, oh, yes, because there's probably candy involved. So if we can't bribe you, we'll just bribe your kids, all right? I want you to be here. It's a big piece of that. So again, check out 30dayfamily.com. Okay, I want to give you the, the verses of Scripture that will be the foundation for all five weeks. So throughout these five weeks, I'm going to reference this particular theme verse, if you will. And in this particular verse of Scripture, it's Matthew chapter 7. Jesus was talking to, to, to the crowd of people one day. He was talking to some followers one day, and he talked to them about building their life or building their, their home on him. And Jesus uses the house as an example 
of what it means to build your life on Jesus. Does that make sense? Let's pick up in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 7. The Bible says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everybody say rock. Verse 25, The rain came down. The streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. Now let me tell you this. Jesus is the rock. Watch verse 26 though. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, most of us would desire the type of home that Jesus talked about in the beginning, the type of home that is built on the rock, so that when difficulty comes and the storms, you know, happen and the streams you know, rise and the winds blow and they beat against your family. They, they do not fall because they're built on the rock. We want to build a home that's able to stand firm against challenges. We, we want to build a family that can stay together when everything else is falling apart. We want to build a marriage that stands firm when life gets hard. If you go back to the day that you got married, for those of you that are married, you remember those vows that you exchanged and how perfect life was in that moment. And since then, things have been a little bit more difficult. But our heart is to stay faithful to the vows that we made, that we exchanged with our significant other. So so how do we do that? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. Which, by the way, the Bible gives us an answer for anything we need. The Bible gives us the answer. And the Bible says that if you want that type of life, if you want that type of home, then you have to build your home. You have to build your family. You have to build your life On Jesus. And according to Jesus, the wiser builder was in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So the difference, and lean in, the difference between these two builders was not necessarily knowledge and ignorance. It was obedience and disobedience. Because everybody knows what we should do. But it's those who choose to put into practice what we should do that can build their life or their home on a firm foundation. Let me go ahead and I'm going to give you all five weeks, okay? I want you to see it. Today we're going to talk about God. Second week we're going to talk about forgiveness. Week three we'll talk about margin. Week four we'll talk about effort. Week five we'll talk about communication. Again, I know that there are a whole lot more than just five things that you need to do in order to keep your family together. But if you do these five things, if you start With these five things, you put God in the center of your home. You learn to forgive each other. You build some margin into your life because so many of you are so busy. And I'm going to give you one little thought that the the Lord gave me for week number three. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. So we got to build in some margin because when we get busy, don't be offended by this, but we do stupid things when we have no margin. If we put in some effort into our family, and if we learn how to communicate, which, by the way, arguing is not communication, not healthy communication. It's a form of communication, but it's not healthy communication. You do these five things, and something supernatural will happen. So let's start with week number one, and it's God. Now, some of you probably tried to guess what the five weeks were going to be, and you were able to guess week number one because this is a church. And in church, at least this one, God is kind of a big deal. So I want to talk about what it means to put your family, to build your life on God. And it starts with this question. What does it look like for God to be the most important thing in your family? Let me just pause for a moment. What does that look like for God to be the most important thing in your family? Now, we know what it looks like for education to be the most important thing. Here's what it means when education is the priority. It means after-school tutoring, 
Uh, it means carrying a lot of hours by way of credits in, in your class, in your high school, your college. It means a ton of research papers. Uh, you want to know how I graduated from college? Google. Come on now. <laughs> research papers. Uh, putting education as a priority means you've got a lot of books to read. Okay? So we know what it looks like when education is a priority. But what does it look like when God is the most important thing? We know what it looks like when your job is the most important thing. It means long work hours. It means meetings, conferences, traveling, seminars, etc. We, we know what it means when the kids' extracurriculars are the priority, when, when, when sports or dance or whatever it is that they're banned, whatever it is, when that's the priority because it means weekday practices, it means weekend tournaments, it means private lessons. It means major commitment, and here's what I'm learning as my kids grow up. It means a whole lot of money. So we know what it looks like when extracurriculars are the priority, but what does it look like for God to be the most important thing in your family? Some of you would say, well, it's church attendance, and I think that would be a part of it, yeah. Like, I think coming to church together is healthy. And I think it does something in our hearts personally and collectively as a family. But, but surely making God the most important thing in your home is more than just church attendance. Because you and I knew families that went to church together and they ended up separating and getting a divorce. So here's my heart. I don't want you just to come to church together. I want you to follow Jesus together. And those are completely different things. One of my closest friends, Pastor Jason Isaacs, he pastors a great church in Louisville, Kentucky, and his second campus, their second campus is up the road in Shepherdsville. He says it like this. He says, the best way to keep your family together for the next 50 years is to do the things that will keep your family together for 50,000 years. Now, let me read it again, and then I'll explain it. So the best way to keep your family together for 50 years is to do the things that will keep your family together for the next 50,000 years. Years, he's talking about eternity. Not just legacy, which was our last series, but he, he's talking about making sure that God is the foundation of your home so that you can spend forever with God in heaven and forever with God in heaven with your family. Let me, let me put it to you like this. There's a, a perfect story in the Bible that summarizes this thought of putting God as the main thing in your family. It's found in the very last chapter of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. I'm going to give you a little, a little context here. Let me set up what I'm going to show you today. Because Joshua was the leader that followed Moses. So Moses was placed in, in charge of leading the children of Israel, God's chosen people, out of bondage from the evil ruler Pharaoh in Egypt. So, so Moses, and you're probably familiar with Moses, Moses was the man that led the children of Israel, over a million people out, out of slavery, out of bondage. He gets them out of Egypt, and for the next 40 years, they wander around lost in the desert. And I think that's so many of our families, we feel trapped, we feel like we're slaves, we feel in bondage, and every time we try to go to church, we try to experience freedom, we just kind of wander around like, like we're lost. Well, because 40 years passed, Moses died, and all of the people that came out with him died, and now there's a new generation. And so Joshua is now in charge. So Joshua is the successor to Moses. And he takes this generation of people into the promised land that they were promised. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. And God promised them a land that flowed with milk and honey. So now Joshua takes them into this promised land. And listen to me. This is their dream land. I mean, in this dream land, they, they've built like brand new homes and subdivisions. They're, they're driving nice cars. God has really blessed them. They're living in great neighborhoods. They're living in neighborhoods that have the best schools. The kids are taking the honor classes. They're eating the best food. Chipotle just opened up in their hometown. <laughs> and on the outside, it's like, man, we, we've got it all together. We came out of bondage, 
And now we're living in the promised land. And, and here was their problem after God delivered them. And the problem they had is the same problem that so many of our families face today. And here it is. Usually, we think we only need God when we feel or see our need. So, we only need God when things are bad. But let me tell you, we need God all the time. Whether things look good or things aren't good, we need God. And so for the children of Israel, they're living in the promised land, and they didn't think they needed God. Because God had given them their answer. So ultimately, they said, hey, we, we're going to do things our own way. And Joshua, that I'm about to read you in this last chapter, is now old and he's frustrated. And God begins to speak to the heart of Joshua. And Joshua delivers a message. He delivers a sermon that was deposited from God into his heart. And much like I'm doing today, talking to the crowd of people, Joshua gathered the people around, and this is what he says. He steps in front of the people, and he gives them this speech. Let's pick up in verse number 13. He, again, he's talking as if God were speaking. So he says, so I gave you a land. Joshua didn't give them the land. God gave them the land, but Joshua is speaking on behalf of God. Not at me if you understand that. Okay, good. So I gave you a land which you did not toil and cities that you did not build. And you live in them. And you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not even plant. He says, he says you're spoiled. You're spoiled. He says, now, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods that your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. He's saying, some of you are behaving just like they did as slaves. He says, and serve the Lord. And then, and then he really lays it on thick and heavy. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, you got to make up your mind. He says, because basically you're lukewarm. You're neither hot and you're neither cold. You're living on this fence. And the Bible says in Revelation that that's a dangerous place to live. And he says, you need to choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the God of your job? Will you serve the God of your sports? Will you serve the God of your academics? Will you serve the God of your aspiration to become successful in your company? And all of those things are good. Or, he says, are you going to serve those gods that your ancestors served or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you were living? And then this is the verse. You ready? Please don't miss this. He says, but as for me, and for my house, I'm about to preach now. He says, as for me and for my house, he says, no, 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 we're going to serve the Lord. Can we focus on this last statement that Joshua made for just a moment? Here's, here's what he said. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is a powerful three-part statement. As for me and for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Look at the first part. This is what he says. He says, as for me. Now, Joshua makes a decision that he's going to lead by example. He says it like this. He says, I can't expect my family to do what I'm not willing to do myself. Anybody with me? Uh, this past weekend, as a matter of fact, yesterday... Uh, Pastor David and I, Pastor David serves as our global operations pastor between the two campuses. I invited him to go with me on a weekend trip. It was his birthday, and uh, so happy birthday, Pastor David. And so I took him where he always wanted to go on his birthday, Iowa. <laughs> Single-digit temperatures, because I love him that much. So we fly to Iowa. I spoke at a prayer conference, and then yesterday we flew back. And while we were sitting there, the flight attendant comes to the microphone and begins to give us instruction. How many have ever flown on a plane before? You know what I'm talking about. Okay, so she's giving us all of the instruction, and basically she's preparing us for what we need to do if we crash, which is always quite comforting before the flight takes off, isn't it? 
And she says something that really caught my attention. Now, I've flown a lot, and this isn't the first time that I had this thought, but it was just a powerful reminder. And this is what she says, and I'm, I'm going to show you and tell you. What's really cool about my TV is if you touch it one time, it goes forward. You touch it two times, it goes backwards. But it's also a magical TV. So stretch your hands this way and say now when I count to three. You ready? One, two, three. So she says, that was pretty good, wasn't it? So she says, as she opens up the oxygen mask, I'll do it like this because I want you to see it. I hope I don't mess my hair up. She, she begins to talk about this idea of putting on your oxygen mask in case of an emergency. And she says these words, if you're with your family or child, Make sure that you put your oxygen mask on first. And I nudged, I nudged Pastor David and I said, whoa, think about that. Why would she suggest to us to put our, max, uh, our oxygen mask on first? Here's the thought. Because you can't save others if you're first not saved. And, and it's almost unfair to suggest to your family that they need to do something that you're not willing to do first, to be led as the example. You can't expect your family to come to church, to live for God, to read their Bible if you're not leading by example. You, and watch this, and I don't, I, don't mean to be, I don't mean to be hard, but somebody needs to tell you, it's unfair to punish your family or your children, mom or dad, if you're not doing what you know you ought to need to do first. We got to lead by example. And this statistic blew me away. If a mom and a child comes to church, statistics show us that 17%, there's a 17% chance that the rest of the family will come with them. But if the dad puts his oxygen mask on first. And he says, as for me, I'm going to lead by example. Stats show us that there is a 93% chance that the rest of the family will come to church as well. Again, I'm not just talking about, you know, the need to be in church. It's not only about that. It's just the reality that if you want your family to be something that they're not, you have to lead by example. Let me, so let me ask you. What is your relationship with God like? Yours. Not your wife's. Not your husband's. Not your grandmother's. Who was faithful in the church. You've told me that. But you're inconsistent. The Bible says to work out your own salvation. Listen, don't, don't put pressure on your family to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. And Joshua, he leads by example, and he says, wait a minute. Before I tell you what the house is going to do, let me tell you what I'm going to do. And as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to lead by example. And then he says this, so as for me and my house. So now he says, not only am I going to lead by example, but I'm going to lead by authority. I want to say something to you. This is a declaration by Joshua that his family will serve the Lord. And this is what I know. You can't make anybody follow Jesus. You can't make your children follow Jesus. You can't make your spouse follow Jesus. You can't make, you know, your, your, your aunts and uncles and nieces, your whole family line. You can't, you can't make them follow Jesus. But Joshua is saying this, as long as I'm the leader of my house, I'm declaring that this house will be a God-first house. No matter what you all decide to do, he says, this house, let me say it like, let me tell you how my mama told me when I was growing up. As long as you live under this roof, we're going to put God first. So let me take the final few minutes that I've got and let me talk to the parents for just a moment. Because I think some of you have forgotten, mom and dad, that you are the authority of your house. And you decide what the family does. Your children don't decide what you do. 
The coach does not decide what you do. The teacher does not dictate what you do. Your local politicians can't tell you what to do. As the leader of your home, you decide this is going to be a God first house. That's why in the Worley house, come on now, my kids watch what I let them watch. They listen to what I let them listen to. They hang out with the people we think they should hang out with. And your family, it has a value system whether you've articulated that or not. So they only get to watch and listen and hang out with people that you say it's okay because you are the authority in your house. And I don't want to be mean, but I got to tell you, some of you parents are too concerned with becoming the best friend of your child than you are the spiritual authority of that house. And you are not helping them. Can I tell you that your children and your, even your grandchildren, sometimes it's good for them to hear no. Watch this. Sometimes I tell my kids no just so they know what it sounds like. And I tell my kids, nine, my son's nine, my daughter's almost four, and I tell them this often. It's not about rejection. It's about protection. I, I'm not, so when my son, watch this, let me give you a current event. When my son and daughter want to get on YouTube, but we find out about the Momo challenge, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so I tell them, you can't get on YouTube, and my kids say, why? All my daughter wants to do is watch Peppa Pig, and my son wants to watch some of his favorite shows, you know, on, on, on YouTube. One of the things he loves to do is watch Madden 19 YouTube videos so he can figure out a way to beat me. And I tell him, watch all the videos you want. You ain't never going to beat me in Madden, boy. But now we've got this Momo challenge going on, so you know what we did? We deleted all of YouTube. And I told my kids, we're not going to watch YouTube. And my daughter, London, says, for how long? And my son says, knowing dad, probably forever. <laughs> because it's not rejection, it's protection. Come on now. And I'm leading my family, not just by example, but I'm leading them by authority. By authority according to the word of God and the name of Jesus that asks for me, and as for my house, we are going to serve the Lord. That's it. Every, every parent, you've got children. Let me see your hands, both campuses. You're a parent with kids. Here's the question the Lord dropped in my heart. If you had only one wish for your child, what would it be? If you had only one prayer, thank, thank God we can pray more than one prayer, but you had one wish, you had one prayer, what, what would you cash it in on? Let me tell you some things I've prayed. God, let them make good grades. Because if they make good grades, they get a good education, they get into college, they get a degree, they can get a great job, they can make some money, they can help me in my own personal retirement. Jesus, help them. <laughs> God, this has been a prayer. Let them make wise decisions. My daughter's almost four, and I already, Kimberly and I, we already pray over her. God, don't let her date losers. Don't let her date losers, because I'll beat them up. How many of you, how many of you, you've been a part of this South Metro family for many years, and you know how good of a preacher my father-in-law is, right? All right. Here's one thing that he says, and you'll love it. He says, you know, the spirit of slap will come all over me. That's what's going to happen if my daughter hangs out with a loser boy. The spirit of slap, because when you slap them in Jesus' name, it's holy. Let them, let them live a long, happy, healthy life. Those are prayers. Those are wishes. But let me say this to you, and I'm running out of time, but let me say this. All of those things are good wishes, good prayers. But where is God? Where is God? Listen to me. It's all good. Good grades. Good jobs. Make money. Wise decisions, marry the right people. But where is God? Shouldn't the number one prayer be, man, I want my family to love God, serve God, and live with him forever. Anybody agree with that? If so, you have to remember, listen to me. 
That does not happen accidentally. You lead by example. And you lead with authority. Can you give me a few more minutes? That's why in our family, and this is true, we have a family mission statement. And we pray this mission statement every night. As a matter of fact, for my wife's birthday and Valentine's, because it's close together, I had a massive uh, piece of artwork made that hangs in our downstairs kind of front room now with these words uh, painted on it because this is what we live by. And it says this, that in the worldly household, we love Jesus and each other more than we love football and fairy tales. And th this, is what, this is what we pray. This is what we believe because I love me some football. And my, my wife and daughter, they love them some fairy tales. They love princesses and Disney. But can I tell you that our number one desire is to love Jesus above all that. To put Jesus as the priority. And I'm really going to step on some toes here. And I anticipated it. And I'm okay with it. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, in the worldly household, sports and dance is not our number one focus. You need to hear me. This is why my, my son does not play travel baseball, not because the coaches don't think he's got potential or talent, but because I know that what travel baseball will do to our schedule. And it'll mean that my family won't be in church together. And I had this thought and I backed it up. Watch this. Because you, you think, oh, my son or my daughter are going to be some great superstar. Your child has 0.0296% of becoming a professional athlete but they have a 100% chance of standing before God. So I, so I had this thought. Lakeland might be able to home run his way into college, but he can't home run his way into heaven. I have to lead by example and lead by authority. Come on, is that good? Come on, put your hands together right there. So Joshua says this, I gotta hurry. Joshua says, okay, so if serving the Lord seems undesirable, we read this, then choose for yourselves this day whom you're gonna serve. Baseball's fantastic, sports are fantastic, dance is great, ballet is awesome, academics is wise, your job is important. But what if you put God as the main thing? So Joshua says, you need to choose. He's not saying you can't do those things, but those things cannot become the priority in your home. How, why, how do you know that? Because your family's not working. We're buying into what society is telling us instead of believing in what Scripture is saying. You want this home to withstand the test of time and trials and tribulation? It must be built on Jesus. So he says, choose today. And the people respond. Remember, he's having this conversation. And they say, no, no, we will serve the Lord. That's good, isn't it? And I pray that would be your response today, but Joshua doesn't take his foot off the gas. He says, all right then, destroy all those idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord. Here's a thought. Turning to God means turning away from other things. Turning to God. Putting your family to God means turning away from other things. So in the final three minutes I got, here's the homework assignment. You ready? I want you to give your family spiritual CPR. And I mean this. Because if I asked everybody in this room and at Go Church, who wants your home, who wants your family to be built on Jesus, line up on this side of the room. And those of you that don't want your family to be built on Jesus, line your family up over here. Everybody's going to that side of the room. But if you remember, Jesus says the wiser of the two builders it wasn't about knowledge and wisdom. It was about intention versus action. You say you want your family to be built on the rock, then you've got to act on that. Remember, the best way to keep your family for 50 years is to do the things that will keep them together for 50,000 years. And I think it's spiritual CPR. Number one, as a family, you've got to confess and commit. You need to get your family together today and say, we've not been doing it right. Dads, swallow some pride. Moms, swallow some pride. Kids, swallow some pride. We've not, we've not been doing it right. We, we've been doing things that are important, but we haven't put God as the foundation. You need to com confess, okay, we're not perfect. Can I tell you that your children, your grandchildren will appreciate your transparency and honesty? Because I think you're trying to pretend like you got it all together and they see that you don't. 
So just confess it. Okay, we've not been doing it right. But beginning today, we're going to commit. We're going to commit. And here's what, just commit to the next 30 days. Commit to the next five Sundays and see what God does. You taste and see, and I don't think you'll ever go back to that old life. So I want you to confess, and I want you to commit, and then I want you to pray together. This is awkward. This is tough. Some of you say, I, I, don't, know what to, I don't know what to say. I can't pray. I think that's the most beautiful prayer. Just get your family together. Even if they live far away, pick up the phone every day. Can I pray for you? Can we pray together? Because the old saying still stands true. The family that prays together stays together. Come on now. And prayer works. So every day we're going to pray together. And it might start out as a 15-second prayer or a 30-second prayer or a two-minute prayer. But who knows, one day it could lead to some personal family devotion time some confession of challenges within the household, and it could lead to healing and to restoration. And then the third one is this, refuse to give up. Refuse to give up. No matter what, don't quit. Don't quit. Confess and commit. Pray together. Refuse to give up. Pastor David, our campus pastor at Go Church, and Pastor Ben, our campus pastor here, they're going to come to the stage. The, the band is coming at both locations. I'm going to put this thought on the screen for two minutes. I like to close our sermons this way. I'm over time, but I'm going to give you the remi remaining two minutes here to chew on this question. They're going to sing one chorus. And while they do, I want you to chew on this question. What does it look like for God to be the most important thing in your family? What does that look like? And then what steps do you need to take in order to make that happen? Okay, go church, we're turning it over to you. South Metro family, I want you to pray through this. Micah, can you lead us in a chorus of worship? Let's take these final two minutes here and consider this question in Jesus' name.